Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. Each episode features a discussion of current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDougall, Associate Director of Beauty and Personal Care at Mintel. And today I'm joined by Lucy Cornford, the BPC Content Manager. Hello, Lucy. Hello. I'm also joined uh, by my fellow Associate Director for Beauty and Personal Care, Alex Fisher. Hello, Alex. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? It's all good. It's all good. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Living lockdown life. I'll, I'll speak to you about that in a bit, actually. <laughs> um, but also wanted to just introduce um, our final panellist for today, um, which is another one of my colleagues, uh, Margot Caron, who's a Senior Analyst for Beauty and Personal Care. Hello, Margot. Hi. So we've got our European uh, beauty dream team. Uh, in the room, or at least on the podcast for today. So welcome all. And today I thought it would be a good idea to have a nice informal chat about what's happening for beauty in the current climate. Um, obviously, things have changed, behaviors have changed, uh, purchase patterns have changed. Um, and so what I've done is I've looked at a lot of the questions and feedback and sort of rounded up all the client stuff we've got. And so we'll go through some of those topics. But I thought it would be good to start with seeing how we're all doing sort of lockdown-wise, as Alex referred to earlier. So how is lockdown? Do you have any new beauty behaviors or do you have any beauty behaviors that you've started that you think will continue beyond sort of social distancing and lockdown? I don't know if anyone wants to admit to anything in particular. Uh, well, actually, funnily enough, we've talked a lot about people having to cut their hair uh, by themselves during lockdown. And I held off for about three months from my last visit to the hairdresser and then it just suddenly got too much. So I have had a go at that. But I actually invested in some proper hairdressing tools to do that for myself as well. So um, I'm I'm kind of expecting to do that longer term so that I can kind of recoup that cost that I spent on those products rather than actually having to go to a salon. Um, I've also had a lot of deliveries because I'm not too keen on leaving the house. And I'm tending to buy a lot of the brands that I would usually, usually buy. But because I'm having to find myself going onto websites that I don't normally use, I'm also getting slightly distracted by newer brands that are coming up. So I'm still being quite experimental with the kind of brands that I'm using, especially when it comes to hair care. Um, and also my feet. Um, I've been doing a lot of treatments on my feet. I, know I, got, I got nervous when you mentioned your feet then. I was like, where are we going? <laughs> but I've suddenly got the time to, to do these foot baths at the end of every single day. And the way I see it is that obviously this lockdown is starting to ease now. I'm going to have to go out and it's going to be summer. I'll need to wear these summery shoes. So I want to make sure that my feet are in peak condition. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite enjoying this time to prepare for summer at the moment. Lucy, I feel I've gone completely the opposite way in that I am prepared for just life just conti to continue in this little hovel of mine. Um, <laughs> my feet look like I'm a hobbit, like they're just horrible. Um, <laughs> I haven't worn shoes and socks, it feels like, for about three months. So what's the point? My, my feet are my shoes. Um, but in terms of one thing I have noticed is because we're doing a lot of these video conferences and we're doing a lot more kind of face-to-face uh, -face through the screen, um, I am seeing a lot more uh, in terms of I'm, I'm looking at my face and I'm looking at my skin. So mm -hmm. I'm noticing just kind of like where maybe I, I look like I've maybe got some dryness or I've got like some spots coming as well. So um, my my skincare routine has got a lot bigger. 
Um, it was already quite big to begin with. You know, we work in beauty after all, but it's it's got a little out of hand. Uh, but it's just because I've got so much time to do it and I'm really enjoying it. So I'm not going to apologise. <laughs> I was just going to say that definitely seems to be from some of the consumer data we've seen come back from all countries in Europe, that having that extra time is kind of one of the reasons people are doing certain beauty treatments in general. So it definitely seems to be that kind of ethos is definitely something that consumers across the board are sort of seeing uh, it's also interesting as well lucy you talk about you buying some uh, scissors to cut your hair mm. mm-hmm. that seems to be again another sort of part of the beauty market that's actually booming right now because i've seen like sales of like hair clippers and other sort of hairdressing tools sales mm-hmm. of these actual appliances have gone up massively as well so it's really interesting to see um and it is interesting as well to hear people say maybe after this i will cut my hair i don't know if people will stick to it and um, when you realize that actually it's a lot easier to just go and yeah um, i mean i think i have kind of an advantage because obviously people can't see this but i've got quite long hair so if i do make a mistake with it then then it's quite easy to rectify it unless obviously it just keeps going until i've actually cut all my hair off um, <laughs> but yeah it's definitely something that i would like to continue going forward and and there's been so many tutorials that have come up online as well that have made it much mm. to do layering myself at home as well so it's not just a straight blunt cut it's uh, got a little bit of life to it. No, I was going to um, bounce back about the uh, the skin scrutiny where you're actually, you have time to look if uh, what you're doing is actually doing something to your skin. But I've been quite addicted to all the digital uh, beauty lives. So I'm following so many Instagram lives and in IGTV kind of masterclasses, uh, the face gym one, the, um, I do a face yoga. It's just like, I've been quite, uh, I've been quite uh, working on it, but more on a sort of tutorial um, way of it. It's just because I have more time. We do see a lot, a lot of these trends sort of coming through from sort of this COVID era, if you like this outbreak era, but do you think these are going to continue afterwards like do you think do you think there's an or if they do like what is the expectation in terms of what is the longevity is it just going to be for a couple of months and then fade out and then we'll get back to a normal or is there going to be this new normal where we take these trends and these uh sort of actions with us i wouldn't be surprised if uh some of the behaviors we do carry on so particularly ones where it actually saves you a lot of money because as we're aware there is a predicted economic recession on the way and you know these little things i mean me me personally, I used to spend £65 at the hairdresser every six weeks. And if I can find that I can do that myself and obviously save that money and spend that on something else for myself, then I'm going to be able to do that going forward. And I think that that is something that, you know, a lot of people have had to trade down during this whole thing as well. I think they're starting to see that, like, buying cheaper products doesn't necessarily mean they're compromising the quality of these products. So... Yeah, it's about saving money there so that they can splurge on something else or just make make sure that they're financially solvent coming out of this. I was going to say, I mean, I, I love the idea of keeping all this up. Like I was saying, my, my skincare regime has just like skyrocketed uh, and now I'm doing maybe like 15 to 20 steps every day sometimes, just depending on how my skin is. I'm able to like take the time and look at it uh, and decide what it is I need to do with it that day. And that's fine now. But I'm wondering, you know, as we come out of kind of lockdown and as we're all starting to return to work or we're starting to go out a lot more again, that time is going to disappear, right? That time's going to go away again. Um, And also, you know, 
that means that we've we've had all this time and we've had all of these experiences that we can do with this added time. Um, but we're not going to be able to keep all of them up. We're not going to be able to see our friends more and see our family more and do more with our skincare and do all of these things. So I think there's going to have to be that that return of that kind of convenience and that those kind of speed related kind of claims, because we're still going to want to be doing everything that we managed to do during lockdown, you know, all this stuff that we had extra time for. Um, but we won't have that time anymore. You know, we'll still be trying to return to our daily life while trying to keep hold of some of these kind of learnings. So I think there will sort of be, uh, a return to kind of the, the pre, pre-lockdown pre days or pre-COVID-19 days. But I think there will be more focus on how we you know, do some of these things we were doing, uh, but at greater speed, basically. It, it's interesting you say that about like how claims we saw before and things we saw before. In terms of, obviously, we predict trends uh, on a regular basis but in terms of like trends we were expecting for 2020 obviously you don't foresee this happening so what about those trends that we sort of predicting for this year or were predicting were going to happen how do we see those sort of being affected now do, do we see uh, the trend predictions we had before as still playing out now or i mean it, do do they change uh, so obviously we just released our 2030 trends recently so we had the panorama of humanity and identity traders um, and, you know, we, we took a very forward-thinking view in the so panorama of humanity, very much about the push and pull between science and nature, and identity traders was very much about this idea of, of community, really building a sort of online community. Um, and we've really seen just these few months of the COVID-19 crisis massively accelerate these trends. So they're, they're not 10 years in the future anymore. They are much closer to home. We expect them to be fully enforced by 2025. Um, and that's, you know, it's out of necessity. And it's, it's a really interesting time for that. And that obviously builds on trends that we already had from the past, such as like playing Mother Nature and things like that. So yeah, it's just a massive acceleration. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you mentioned the 2030 trends, because obviously one of the big parts of like the identity traders trend was all about connectivity. And to be honest, digital connectivity, we were sort of looking at how that's obviously changed the world. And obviously right now, that's really, really relevant because digital connectivity is essentially, it's, well, from a working perspective anyway, it's how we keep in touch with everyone now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how those things have sort of moved on a lot, uh, a lot quicker pace. So I do think those trends now will almost shift forward a little bit more um, just because they have to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, community is a massive part of, uh, of consumer lifestyles, particularly in Europe. We're extremely community minded here. And yeah, it's, it's, that people are all of a sudden people that never even used online platforms before. Like my mum, <laughs> all of a sudden, is is all over video chat and things like that. And it's and that's going to feed into other people's like behaviours in terms of how they're using online for things like shopping and things like that. So it's definitely something that has made a longer term impact. I think, particularly across Europe. Has anyone used just talking about shopping online and things uh, and video? Has anyone actually used a virtual try-on sort of tool during this whole lockdown? Like, do we do we think it's, it's going to be possible to sort of satisfy consumer needs from a retail 
sort of environment when we talk about online versus offline it divert does virtual try on for you is that the way forward now um, obviously things like samples and sort of contact in store and the whole sort of retail environment i guess is going to have to change i know margo you spoke about this um quite a lot uh in sort of pieces you've done on the platform i mean is that gonna is the physical element of beauty how is that changing so i think the virtual try-ons are actually going to um, indeed accelerate we see that for example social media uh, channels now have a virtual try-on for beauty products like pinterest they just launched um, an ar uh, tool to uh, to try products and have this kind of like seamless uh, journey to buy well between inspiration and uh, and purchase so i think it will grow grow in terms of um, of adoption however there is something that needs to be really uh, provided uh, in stores um, it's uh, the sensory elements and even if it can work for a little bit better for makeup I think for uh, skincare and for other categories the sensory aspect is so important that it's it will have to be something that's maybe a little bit more omnichannel and not just only virtual there, there are developments and there are, in, there are innovations of um, augmented reality devices that trigger other senses. Like you have a fingernail that you can put and then it uh, gives you a sensory stimuli. It, rep- it reproduces touch. So that could also be maybe the future of how we discover um, products in a more haptic way. But at the moment... Um, I guess um, augmented reality devices and virtual try-ons uh, could only be uh, something that's going to be used, um, well, yeah, for makeup, but not extensively for other categories. Yeah, sorry, if I could just jump in there. Because um, when I was thinking about kind of how how my routine has changed in lockdown and I'm trying new products, I'm asking or I'm I'm. I'm asking the the online retailers for samples of those products and a lot of them are skincare. Um, Because for me, it is, like you say, still very much about that sensory, how it feels on my skin, the fragrance of it and everything. And, you know, I've never really been able to do that properly in store anyway because I don't really like touching the stuff that's in store. I never never did. Um, But, you know, I think what we will see maybe a bit more in terms of how the virtual helps that kind of element is the idea of kind of these longer term trials. So with skincare, for example, the idea that, um, you know, I, I, had, I should really be trying a product for a few days or a few weeks to, to really see the benefits. So, you know, how do we use things like virtual or augmented reality to show consumers what their skin could look like? if they did, uh, you know, try on these products for, for longer or if they did trial them properly. I think maybe for things like skincare and hair care, that idea of augmented or virtual reality to look into that future, that could be what encourages trial. I don't think it changes the in-store trial as much, but definitely for, uh, for things like, um, you know, longer term trial of skincare. And I think sustainable uh, sampling, the one sing- like single-use sampling, will need to accelerate as well. Because mm-hmm. even if augmented reality is very useful, I guess sampling at home as well in a very safe way could be also a path to follow. Yeah, I mean they are saying that uh, UK retailers are going to be able to all UK retailers will be able to open in a couple of weeks, and. 
one of the, the things that has been promoted is that they will not have testers in store. Like that, that will be eliminated, at least for the time being until this epidemic has uh, got a little bit more under control. But yeah, so, so retailers, even department stores, are going to have to come up with alternative solutions. It is essential that they still allow people to try these things on if they're going to maintain this level of interest, particularly in new products. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because hygiene and safety is such a big focus. Like Alex was mentioning there about sort of not wanting to try products in store. And I, I have to agree. Like I, if there's a, it, depending on what the product is, I guess. But a lot of the time it's a case of, I don't want you know, you don't know where that product's been or how many people have touched that, that product. Um, but I also agree with what Margot said right at the start, that the sensory is so important. Like it's very rare for me. To, well, I, I won't buy a fragrance, for example, without smelling it. So it's very difficult for some products, but even like the like scent is such a big thing anyway. So away from fragrance, but just thinking about scent, the scent of a skincare product or the scent of a hair care product is enough sometimes to put me off as well. And I think that's true for consumers. It is something that impacts um, sort of your, your choices. And then also linking back to what you were saying right at the start of the previous question, Lucy, when you were talking about um, how you're just sort of buying brands you know and things, it then sort of raises questions of consumer loyalty to certain brands. I think for certain beauty categories, particularly personal care categories, I think there is this sense that essentially if we are going towards a recession as well, I will bulk buy brands I know, brands I trust in categories that I know and trust. So for example, Mm -hmm. oral care, it's kind of, I know what toothpaste I use, so I will bulk buy that toothpaste. Um, maybe in hair care, it's kind of like, okay, I know what shampoo I want to use. But when it comes to maybe my skincare, uh, maybe if it, it, if it's, whether it's a moisturizer um, or a cleanser or things like that, that's essentially where you do want to have that, that sort of choice. So I think once the restrictions are lifted, I think going forward, we will still have that consumer loyalty to brands that they trust. But I do also think that, the great thing about physical retail is it does give you that option, that choice. And I think choice is going to be important, just has to be done, I guess, in a safe and hygienic way, I think is the, the biggest thing to come from this. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think packaging is going to, because we haven't mentioned packaging, but how do you think, do you think packaging as well? Because we mentioned obviously the samples uh, and the testers, and I know Margot, you mentioned sustainability with sort of single use sort of packaging, but do we see packaging taking a different shift in beauty now or like is it are there more hygienic options now for applicators and things like that that people are going to be looking towards um or again is that just going to be a short-term thing um so for me i think as long as there is packaging around the product um i don't really think consumers will maybe think all that much about it but as you said they're kind of the idea of disposables or single-use items is still right now you know heavily preferable um And so, you know, I think there's, but again, the other kind of aspect of what lockdown has done is it's brought a lot of kind of environmental concerns to the fore, right? So we're seeing, you know, the canals in Venice much cleaner. Uh, We're seeing, you know, more birds in the sky, lovely weather. It's really kind of showing us that, you know, what we're doing has massive environmental implications. And so we can't go back to single use. We can't go back to disposable. So there needs to be that, that element of meshing the two together. Um, And so I think, you know, like I say, packaging wise with kind of the things that people buy quite a lot anyway. So things like, um, you know, bulk buying maybe some hair care or shower gel, those kind of kind of uh, basic toiletries. I don't really see much of a change uh, in terms of, you know, the amount or the 
a change in the amount of packaging people are looking for. But I think there will be that shift to a you know an ex- expectation still of more sustainable packaging. Things like refills, perhaps those refill stations that we've been talking about for a while. That's probably not you know going to come any sooner. That's probably maybe being put on the back burner for now with hygiene concerns. But I think sustainable packaging for regular products is going to be higher on the agenda because of this. Yeah, I mean, um, it's quite interesting what you say there about like obviously sustainability and stuff's going to be extremely important coming through. And I think also it, it's going to be important for companies to really balance sort of innovative ideas with this idea, uh, this concept of sustainability and design as well. So they've got to make sure that, you know, consumers are as attracted to these products visibly as they are from a health point of view. Um, I mean, there was a, a self-cleaning bottle that's actually launched. It's a water bottle. Um, it's from a company called Lark. And it, it, it purifies water, but it also keeps the bottle clean and gets rid of bacteria and viruses at the same time. And that's a reusable bottle. And that's the kind of concept that we can actually see coming into the beauty and personal care area as well. Um, yeah. So, But I think, yeah, hygiene is going to be a major importance. And I think things like promoting the microbial benefits, antimicrobial benefits of um, packaging will also be important going forward. So maybe even solutions to enable people to use products without physically touching them as well. So more of a growth of like safe contact, no contact solutions. Yeah, contactless packaging, like all these packagings or all these formats, they're like led by a sensor and you don't have to actually touch the bottle. It just like see you uh, approaching your hand and just drop the product. I mean, all um, airports and stuff, uh, so in airports, bathrooms. So I guess even in stores, it could be maybe more easily implemented to actually test products and things like that, all these kind of um, innovations and formats. My only concern with all this, though, is... I, I mean, I love the, the obviously the, the drive towards sustainability and obviously the different innovations and developments we see with packaging. But I think sometimes it's, we could struggle because it is going to come down to cost as well. Um, particularly, as we mentioned, we could, we haven't yet, but we could, uh, and it's probably likely we're heading towards an economic crisis globally. Um, so it is that case of, well, we know that beauty is a very robust category. I mean, we have a very loyal set of consumers in beauty. When the last recession happened, um, it was a big impact. Um but we still recovered um, within a few years. So I think beauty as a category is is, is robust enough um, to see through a recession. But I think with some of those solutions, like sustainability solutions or the contactless solutions, is there a cost there that could potentially put people off? Um, and also just for brands in general, I mean, how do they sort of stay relevant in consumers' minds um, and particularly in their wallets or their purses uh, when there is this economic crisis? I mean, it's very, diff- it's, it's very difficult to... Although a consumer may be loyal to a brand, it can be very difficult if cost plays a big role. And in some markets globally, we know that that will happen. I think something we saw in the last recession was around kind of the idea that you've just got to make that right product or that right range for a variety of price points. And there are different ways that you can do that. So you can, you know create smaller products, you know, so small little bits of luxury or just, you know, smaller sizing that fits maybe a round pound price point. Uh, You've also got things like Margot was talking about the experiential side. So, you know, 
face gym for a lot of people is way out of reach but the fact that they're doing online masterclasses to teach you how to do some of this stuff at home you know free of charge that again is is that kind of way that you're building credibility around the brand and you're still building value around that brand but you know at the right price point for a specific consumer even things like cheaper sub brands so you know there's this idea that value and and premium looks very different now so premium skincare for example looks like things like the ordinary which you know the price point is very reasonable uh, and even own label products that have come out you know as as competitors for them haven't even been able to undercut them by that much so i think you know it's it's all about kind of making sure that you're focusing on exactly what the value is of that product and cutting everything else out I think customer retention can be important in all this as well. Like, as you say, if people have discovered new brands or if they've looked at um, new platforms that they wouldn't look at before, um, again, that's another thing that I think brands can look at in terms of, particularly for e-commerce. Like, so there may be some people who just wouldn't normally buy their beauty products online, but they've had to during all this. So now it's the case, okay, how do we retain those customers going forward? Like, it's important to make sure that we know what their values are and to make sure that we are, sort of meeting that, if you like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like what Alex was saying earlier about like people are noticing the benefits to the environment of, of, of us not going out quite so much. You know, the skies are bluer, the waters, the waters are clearer, the mountain ranges can be seen for the first time in 20 years. And, you know, there, there is a desire for consumers to, to go back to, to be or to be more ethical in the kind of products that they're using and to be more considerate of the environment in the kind of products that they're using as well. And, you know, Mintel's done research into this, which has shown that, that consumers are very willing to invest more in ethical products going forward. And it's about making sure those products are there and making sure that they're visible to consumers and they can really see the benefit. And I think that that would actually encourage people to maybe in some cases even trade up some more environmentally friendly products as we start to go back into sort of the new normal, as it were. Mm, I think, yeah, that's interesting. It's that idea of making sure things are visible and making sure you're still communicating with these kind of new consumers that have potentially come in. Um, and I, I find it so strange that only now are some people or some some of our clients and, and some companies even asking about e-commerce and how to kind of be in that space and, and how to make sure that they're engaging there. Because, you know, e-commerce has been around for so long um, and it's, you know, it's accelerated and it keeps accelerating. Um, and, you know, some some websites, some, some uh, sort of retail websites you go on and the experience is just so horrendous. Um, I can't find anything that I want. I can't see the right products. You know, I'll, I'll go through all the menus and I've got no idea. You know, the search terms aren't right. And I think so this just shows how important it is to even just focus on, you know, the, just the, the functionality uh, of the, of the websites you're creating of the ability to, you know, the, the value in, in communicating properly and effectively, you know, even just those basics um, just to ensure that when you do communicate, it is a good experience as well. I think that's really important for people like my mum, <laughs> like I was talking about earlier, who, haven't really used online for anything before and now all of a sudden they're, they're being bombarded with information and it's it's all right for people that are used to navigating through an online network uh, and on a platform and on a website um, for, for beauty retailing 
But imagine being a consumer that's coming into this for the very, very first time. And it is overwhelming. And this is an audience that is, that is growing currently as well. So it's really important that, that the emphasis isn't just put on people that are already very savvy using technology. It really needs to be accessible for people that, that aren't basically. No, and I, I think that's right. I think if anything, because I've had so many conversations with people before as well about the importance of e-commerce, like having your own e-commerce site rather than just sort of being on another site. And I think this is, as Alex said, this is kind of proved that you need to have a site. You need, well, you need to have those, that ability to connect with consumers in that way. You need to have a functional site, as you say as well, to be able to reach people that potentially are completely new to what you're offering. Um, so it really has highlighted actually, because I think direct to consumer has probably been one of the success stories, not just in beauty, but in consumer goods in general. Um, so it is really important to have those sort of direct e-commerce platforms going forward. So making those, not just just having the presence, but actually making them functional websites is, is really important. Oh, I was, was going to say, you can also bring the community aspects into those as well, because a lot of the older consumers that are less tech savvy are also those that experience loneliness much more than anybody else. And they're those that are likely to be more socially isolated for, for longer than everybody else as we work through this uh, pandemic. So I think building this idea of community into those sort of networks is, is really important uh, going on a much longer term from this as well. So building that community, making those people feel like they have somebody to connect with. And direct consumer, so a direct consumer can be one way to do that. But it could also be about just creating local neighborhoods, local sort of help for these kind of people. I'm glad that you mentioned the word community because I was going to, I was just saying that I was wary of time and I was going to say mm-hmm. if we were to wrap up what we would take out of the whole experience that we've gone through from a beauty angle, what has been sort of one of the important things to look for uh, and one that I think brands should really um, look at and think, okay, how can we play authentically in that space? And for me, community is a big thing in terms of, as we mentioned earlier, the tutorials, the guidance, um, providing the products, but also just the, the caring as well, whether it's caring for people and caring for the planet, this sort of community spirit, I think that's come through all of this. It's all, you know, it's kind of, we're all together against this. Um, I think that spirit has been really important. Um, and I think brands that have not or have potentially taken advantage of that or potentially not really thought about it have been called out on social media and uh, in public. Whereas I think those that have played well in that space um, have picked up consumers that they may not have had before. They've reinforced relationships that they did already have. But I think, yeah, community to me is going to be like a big takeaway from this. But what would you guys say then uh, very quickly, just to, just to sort of summarize, what would you say is the one big takeout for beauty? Um, maybe a personal thing that you've realized yourself um, but just the one sort of big takeaway I think that brands should be looking at going forward then from this this lockdown and, and restrictive period no I agree I think companies that really participated to the common good and reacted very quickly by um, by providing products uh, and manufacturing products for example for uh, for the NHS or for workers uh, on the front line of uh, the crisis uh, it's something that was quite important and that's uh, when genuinely done will be really rewarded 
And I also think that posing, sorry, sustainable practices would have been uh, in the contrary, something that's quite a big mistake because as long as consumers during the lockdown and during a crisis would have probably or maybe put on post some of their sustainable practices, actually there is backlash to be, uh, that, that could potentially await um, for, uh, for brands that uh, decided to maybe decrease uh, their ethical and sustainable effort during the crisis. Uh, so for me, I think what's important to note is actually, I think we're going to see much more of a return to sort of expertise, a return to the experts. So people may not necessarily be going out to salons as much as they used to, but I think they're going to be seeking that kind of advice from online. They're going to be looking for this guidance to, to work them through the treatments they're doing or cutting their own hair, dyeing their own hair, that kind of thing. So I think there's definitely room for more brands to be partnering with um, with professional stylists and professional treatment staff as well. Um, I guess for me, it's the what lockdown and, and what COVID-19 has kind of made me realise, and I, I guess a lot of other consumers too, is the value that I place on you know, really concise communication. Um, I think we've been so used to kind of pleasantries and everybody wanting to make sure everyone's okay and being kind of, you know, everyone's starting every email with, I hope you're well, I hope this is all treating you well. And it's like, well, of course it's not. It's not treating any of us well. But I'm also getting, you know, emails from brands uh, who I maybe bought something from three years ago, all saying we're in this together. And that doesn't feel very authentic to me. That doesn't feel like it's the kind of the the right communication to reach out to me with. Um, So for me, it's about really concise communication that provides that value. And I think coming out of COVID, that's going to be even more appropriate and even more important is the fact that whatever we communicate has to be valuable. Um, It has to add something to my life, whether that's with products, whether that's with pricing, whether that's just with you know the the needs that this product is is going to reach i think that's what's really got me i got no time for annoyances <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's a great point to end on as well uh, for today thank you so much uh, to all three of you for your insights today uh, i know we'll probably keep chatting uh, on these topics for weeks to come uh, off air obviously um, we won't take up too much more of people's time um, but it, it is just very interesting to see how how this will all sort of play out uh, to learn more about Mintel or any of the topics that we have discussed today, uh, then head over to Mintel.com uh, or onto the platform if you have access. Uh, we also have a host of COVID-related material there for each category and each market, uh, many of it written by the experts you're listening to right now. Uh, and be sure also to subscribe to Little Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. But that's all that's left for me to say uh, is thanks again to Lucy, Alex and Margot for joining me today. Thank you all for your input and thank you very much for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.